Hey, Uncle Weed, why don't you break out some of that private stash? I'm hunkered down under a makeshift driftwood structure of some kind in Clackwatt Sound on the west coast of Vancouver Island. So This is an example of what happens when a rainforest doesn't get any rain for an entire summer. <laughs> I don't want to see big stumps, I want to see big trees. Maybe we'll make things a little bit better, if not perfect. You're on this path, and it's right where you're supposed to be. So don't, 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 don't be. A little better, if not perfect. A little better, if not perfect. Hello and good day. Hey, I'm chugling on here from a campground at Klequot Sound. Well, really, I'm somewhere in between Uculet and the Pacific Rim National Park Reserve and the town of Tofino at the other end, out on the west coast of Vancouver Island. And... It's an area that's been in a lot of transition in the last 10 years, to say the least. And I have a little bit of familiarity with the area from a visit here in 1992 that really turned out to be an instrumental and pivotal time in my life and, you know, where I learned a lot of lessons. So for me, it's a little bit of a revisiting, seeing what's happened in this last uh, 14 years or so since the blockades. But over the next few days while I'm here visiting, I thought while the thought's still fresh, I'd check in and see what I can do to tell you about the area, the park, what makes it uh, what makes it unique and what makes it worth saving, how has it been saved, has it been saved, and touch on some of the issues of transportation and economics and how uh, the balance between natural resource-based economy and tourism-based economy on the other end are, uh, well, competing or contrasting or maybe even cooperating with each other a little bit. But I'm here for a few more days, and I've managed to check out a number of the sites already, and uh, a few memories coming back. So before I get too deep into what's what's going on now, I want to think about hmm, why this place is important and what really went down in 92 and kind of my memories of it while while I've been dwelling on it so much recently. Because, well, there's not a whole lot to remember, but what I do remember is really poignant. So I got a few little chores to do around the camp here. Uh, by the way, I'm camping at a place called Surf Junction Campground, and it's just off the turnoff. Uh, but, well, I'll get into this more, but the transportation around the area is a little bit tricky, so you have to have a few things in mind. And I got a few uh, minor gripes with it, to say the least. Um, but I got a, I'm fixing chicken for dinner tonight and some roasted peppers, and I got a, a, an espresso getting ready to make here. And I have my magic Chinese healing tea that I'm, uh, I've been drinking to cure my ales. And I got a firelight. So I'm going to spark a bowl and check in with you in just a little bit about some more Click What memories.
Before I get too deep, let me talk to you a little bit about what I remember from my last trip here in the early 90s. Now, hmm, I guess more of a determining factor, oh geez, oh man, this isn't fantastic. This bridge is a little uh, rickety and rotten and mossy and stuff. Okay, I guess more than just an issue of saving Clackwet Sound, for me it was a mission to go see what the struggle looks like and to bear witness to really understand because I'd always been someone that's like yeah great preserve the trees and preserve you know whales and plankton and (laughs) whatever you got right but I really thought it was a good idea when all this uh, excitement started building in the summer of 92 about Clockwood Sound to go up and check it out and I had participated in various protests and blockades and stuff concerning the Stein Valley but it was more like rallies and not really going up there and making the commitment to stand in front of the trucks now it was such a deal that it had moved very quickly from being kind of a fringe political action to very much something that was in the mainstream of Canadian media and, and uh, the public consciousness for that summer and I remember it was probably about, well, June or July. Everything sort of reached a fever pitch where it was all over the news because dozens of people a day were getting arrested. It was, you'd hear on the news, like, today's arrest count, you know, there's 12 or 20 or 50 or big acti- action planned and 90 people got arrested. And, uh, and that kind of became the glamorous part. Oh, wow. Holy smokes. Oh, this is fantastic. I'm going to find a little windbreak here and I light a duber and keep telling you about this. 
So I headed out there with some friends and catching the ferry from Horseshoe Bay, which is in West Vancouver, uh, over to Nanaimo, and then hitchhiking across the island. Vancouver Island is a tall, skinny island stretching north to south quite, quite a ways, but not too wide uh, east to west. And uh, hitchhiked through various vans and a, kind of a building group of people along the way. Uh, I kind of hopped on the bus, so to speak, and we headed out to this area called Clockwood Sound that seemed to be worth saving because everyone was so worked up about it. But the reality of spending time at a protest camp well, was um, a little bit dreary, but certainly exciting and interesting. I'm climbing up over some driftwood uh, logs here, by the way, to find a cool little grove. And it's a nice uh, wide bay here. And I don't think I see a single person on here. There's a whole bunch of driftwood, little structures and windbreaks and huts constructed. And uh, so I came out and along the side of the highway, um, uh, in a clear cut, and this is wild, rugged territory out here. And we're not talking about one of these logging cuts where they're pulling out eight inch wide trees. These were big, massive stumps that were big enough to set a small tent up on even. And rugged, hilly land and the old rundown logging roads kind of hopscotching and strangling all these little groves of land. And this is where the camp, and it's set up and it was called a peace camp. And everyone set up their tent and, oh, where's the doobie? Um, set up their camp and in the mornings, and it, well, there's this whole kind of social structure that, that went on. But you, what you have here is thousands of people, or hundreds anyway at any given time, that didn't like to be told what to do or how to do it or whatever, right? And then there was well-meaning people who were slightly exasperated and emotionally tied to the area, of course, um, trying to rally some kind of cohesive voice and cohesive action out of the people. But there's a lot of different uh, levels of extremity, maybe would be one way to think of it, of what people were comfortable doing and what they thought was appropriate action. Because what's appropriate action or civil action to one person certainly isn't to others. And there was people that were sick of, you know, the timber companies and the government lying to them and saying, oh, yeah, we're going to protect them, we're going to take these safeguards, and then going down and doing exactly what they had tried to protest in the first place. And so there's some people who were definitely on the side of uh, thinking eco-sabotage was an appropriate solution. And then there was people who were doing everything they could to gain consensus as though this were uh, a political body that the, the man or the timber companies was going to list, listen to care, carefully and thoughtfully. So they thought, well, we better try to, since we're all here, build some kind of cohesive statement, which certainly uh, wasn't easy to come up with at all. Pardon me. Well, that lighter sucks. So every night they would try to rally around a group of people around. Oh, Jesus, hope I have a better one than that around a campfire, and I'll talk about, uh, go around and talk about feelings. Every day there was new people moving in and coming in to participate, so it'd be like, where are you from and how you doing, and trying to build this kumbaya kind of feeling of, of energy that, that there was a little bit of resentment to, because there was also this kind of, this militant, I don't know, aggressive faction that was just like, screw them all, we should be plotting what trees we're spiking and how we're doing it tomorrow, rather than talking about um, where we're from and who we are. And I agree to some point, because I don't really care who the other people are. I mean, it's nice to make friends and yada yada, but 
Um, I was there for the trees and for the observation of the whole thing as well. So from that standpoint, I suppose my mission was sort of filled. Every morning, uh, some volunteers would go around jangling on guitars and beating drums at about 4.35 in the morning, possibly early where it was uh, not even light out yet or anything. And, uh, oh, geez, it, oh, there we go, we're getting a little bit of life. Um, and rally the folks, and you load up into trucks, in the back of pickup trucks, which probably isn't the safest way to, to trans, transport folks, but whatever, and drive out of town a ways in the frigid uh, early morning cold, and even though it was summertime, it was certainly brisk, to say the least, and drive out to the Kennedy Lake Bridge, I believe the area was called, and that was sort of a bottleneck that all the trucks had to go over in order to get to this logging area, the sensitive logging area. Oh, much better. So, and the folks would all go stand out there, and it would be from dozens to hundreds each day, depending on, on the height. But I remember it being misty and cold, certainly. But I also noticed all the tension and the trepidation and a lot of people making some really intense personal decisions because it was sort of like a badge of honor to get arrested as though that would prove your increased commitment to the cause. For me, being someone who travels a lot internationally and someone who values my freedom uh, tremendously and, and doesn't like to entangle myself with, uh, with the law, I, I chose not to. But I went out and stood on the line for several days. And then there's this kind of routine that happens. where the trucks would come up and they'd usually honk their horn and, and you know, kind of make a bit of commotion about it. And these are those big old gnarly logging trucks with the, all the reinforced stuff all over it. And uh, these aren't those nice uh, Kenworth cruisers with the double upper cab sleepers that you see on the highway. But they would honk their horn and make a bit of a commotion and everyone knew that was going on. So it was, this page it was a pageant at this point. And then... Uh, There'd be a, a batch of cops that would show up, and then also the dude who was from the timber company, sort of like the liaison, whatever. I'm not exactly sure what his name is. I want to say his name was Dick or Richard or something like that. But uh, he would come out with the bullhorn and his hard hat out and read his little uh, uh, announcement and kind of give, I think it was a three to five minute cease and desist to move off the road, after which the police would come and arrest, and then they gave another like minute warning. And during this time, there was this kind of standoff, and people were like kind of, you know, hollering a bit, and sometimes it'd be people gather together and sing a song or play guitar, beat a drum, or get stoic and stare into space. or It was their personal time to make a statement. The loggers and the folks at the other side of the cops would sometimes be uh, joking and ribbing around and, geez, what are they doing wasting our time this early in the morning? But, you know, really that what they're doing is, is well, bringing this to the national forefront and saying that this is, the people do have enough power to at least slow things down and economically cause a lot of turmoil. And two, just to emotionally bear witness and seeing what it looks like to really see that stuff happening, right? So I remember driving in... Uh, um, you know, and then the, you'd go back to the camp. The people who had been arrested, they'd put them on a bus and take them to some police station, I think maybe in Port Alberni. So other people would then volunteer to go pick them up. After they'd been processed. And then, uh, so it would go on. So you go back to camp, and then there'd be uh, 
community breakfasts and there was food banks and companies donating food and people bring stuff out and everyone would come out with a case of food and donate it to the kitchen and people would volunteer to cook and there's all these tarp pots and then people talk about it. This is part one of what will be a multi-part series full of my reflections, musing, anecdotes, observations, and conundrums from that 2006 trip to the Clackwood Sound area. As part of this, I'd really like to hear both from people who have an opinion about all the sustainability and this tension between economics and environmental protection, but also people who were there at the blockades as well. I mean, you can't trust one old hippie's memory, right? If you like this flavor, also consider checking out Postcards from Gravelly Beach, where there's a few literary readings I did from this same journey. Enjoy. Wander on over to Chugalon.com. It's ideal for ramblers. 